Hello, and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And this week, we've got a special treat for you, or I don't know if it's a treat, but it's a really interesting episode, and I think uh, you might get as much out of it as I do. On this episode, I'll be talking with Four Thieves Vinegar Collective, who we've talked to before. They're basically people who do DIY wet chemistry and teach people how to make their own medications. And this time, they're going to be talking about how people could choose to make their own abortion medications and also even some long COVID drugs that have some promising successes and many other things besides. So a lot to dig into. This podcast is a proud member of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcasts. And here's a jingle from another show on the network. What's up, y'all? I'm Pearson, host of Coffee with Comrades. Coffee with Comrades is rooted in militant joy. Our hope is to cultivate a warm and inviting atmosphere, like walking into your favorite coffee shop to sit down with some of your close friends and share a heart-to-heart conversation. New episodes premiere every Tuesday, so be sure to smash that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. We are proud to be a part of the Channel Zero Network. Okay, if you could introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and then I guess a little bit about Four Thieves Vinegar Collective and what it is you all do. Yeah, my name is Michael Laufer. I prefer to take whatever pronouns the person addressing me seems are appropriate of the moment. And the Four Thieves Vinegar Collective is an anarchist collective devoted to bringing access to medicines and medical technologies to people who need them but don't have them. And we're fairly agnostic about the methodologies that we use to try to bring that into being. So we do a lot of different things, including trying to find ways to build DIY medical devices. Um, We do a lot with chemistry and devising ways that people can build the active pharmaceutical ingredients of drugs that they might need. And we also look at methodologies and strategies by which people can acquire the things that they need through non-traditional channels. So either looking for drugs that are packaged for other purposes mm-hmm. or looking for things that are closely related that you might be able to get and convert into what you need. And that's what I spend most of my time doing. I'm the chief spokesperson for the collective and I do a lot of work in logistics. So mostly I take people who are subject matter experts of different types and I try to make sure they have the tools and materials that they need and that the information that they need and the information that they have gets shuttled to the other subject matter experts with whom they work so that we can eventually release literature and guides for people to be able to take control of their own health and hopefully have better qualities of life. So basically what you all do is your decentralized collective of people who research ways to open source different medical technology, drugs and physical equipment, and then make that open source, like show people how to make it and make the tools available for people to make it themselves? Yeah. So that is exactly correct. And to be a little more specific, just for your listeners, we don't do any research of our own. We're not developing any new tools. We mostly are hijacking existing tools. We're looking for (laughs) medical technologies that we already know work. We don't do things like clinical trials or try to develop new drugs that nobody's ever heard of. We look for things that are on the shelf, but inaccessible, things that are perhaps not legal for Mm -hmm. various reasons. 
perhaps things that have merely not come into the marketplace because they weren't profitable, but still are effective. Things that perhaps weren't approved because they were effective, but only in a small margin of the population. And, or in events where they're merely inaccessible because the price has been jacked up too high. Or if you happen to be in a situation where the infrastructure just can't reach you for whatever reason, either due to sclerotic bureaucracy and you just can't get your insurance provider to give you what you need, or you might be in a rural place where there just isn't a pipeline to get such things. So yeah, we're, um, we look to take things that they're already established that they work and try and get them to the people who need them. Yeah. So what are some examples of the, I know we're going to be talking about some of the new uh, products that you all have been working on in a moment, but what are some of the examples of existing things that you all have done that you've released that people are on their own using and accessing right now because of y'all's work? Yeah. So the thing that we are ironically best known for was just a sort of side project that happened. But when, when Heather Bresch was lying in front of Congress about why she jacked up the prices of the EpiPen, mm-hmm. we had a lot of people knocking on our door saying, why aren't you doing something about the EpiPen? So we put together a project that we lovingly and playfully called the EpiPencil project that allows you to <laughs> make an, an open source reloadable version that costs $30 to build and about $3 to reload. And that garnered a lot of attention just because it was very timely. Um, and that was fun. It felt good. And you know, I still get letters from people saying that they're using it and it's, it's good to know that that technology is out there and that people are benefiting from it. Our sort of flagship project that I believe you and I talked about last time is the apothecary micro lab, which is an open source automated chemical reactor that helps you walk through the process of doing organic chemistry. If you're trying to synthesize an active pharmaceutical ingredient of a particular drug and it will help you through the things that are easy for a machine to do but are easy for a human to mess up yeah and then it will ask you to sort of help it or the things that are difficult for a machine to do but easy for a human what kind of successes have you all had with getting this stuff out in the world you're saying that you've you know met people who use the epi pencil like have you have you seen widespread adoption? Is it mostly within the hacker community? Like, what kind of reach do y'all currently have, and what kind of reach are y'all working towards? Well, we don't really know, and <laughs> I don't think we really have a goal as to reach. And this is a really sort of central tenet of our philosophy: is that we're not looking to try to get what we have out there in a certain volume because we don't want to be supplanting an infrastructure that we're trying to offer an alternative to. The idea is that we build some tools and those tools are available. And ultimately the decision as to whether somebody wants to use those tools or thinks it's necessary to use those tools or even thinks it's a good idea or wise or foolish to use those tools uh-huh. really <laughs> lies with the end user. The, I mean, and this is really important, right? Because the thing is, is we're not saying, hey, you should use our stuff instead of the regular stuff. Right. Instead, what we're trying to say is, look, you shouldn't be stuck in the position where either the medical infrastructure serves you the way it's supposed to, or you shrug and just continue to suffer or wait to die. You should have the option of taking things into your own hands. And plenty of people don't want to do that for any number of reasons. And that's their personal decision. The The goal here is to make it possible for people to have an alternative option where they previously didn't. And so because of all of that, we work very, very hard to not try to push what we create as, hey, you should use what we do. It's here's what we did. We think it's kind of cool. And we hope you look at it carefully and make up your own mind thoughtfully. And at the same time, like we don't go trying to chase down uh, people who've used it to say, hey, you know, give us a good review on 
you know, Yelp or whatever. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's the idea is that it's out there, right? The idea is that it's out there. In terms of reach, the the but how are you going to become a millionaire if you don't sell it? Yeah, right. I I I get that question all the time, and um, (laughs) (laughs) and yes, that that sort of giggle is typically what comes out of me. Um, Yeah, yeah. So so it's um, the the one the one thing that I think about in terms of that sometimes is I I think about. people who might want to use what we've created, but don't know that it exists yet. I'd like to get the message out there a little bit. And it was interesting too, because we're revamping the website currently and the, in the group of, of people who are doing the redesign, one of them isn't from a really strong anarchist background Mm -hmm. and was looking at this, this new look that we have. That's like it's so pretty and I'm so excited. It's got this like green neon noir look and there's like splatters of ink and stuff. And (laughs) and he said to me, he's like, I'm concerned that this, this gritty look that you are pushing for is going to turn some people off. And I said, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And he said, but don't we want to get as many people as possible to the website? And I said, absolutely not. What we'd like is we'd like to get as many people who like what we do and appreciate it to our website. And right. I promise you that if you try to polish this up like some corpo thing, all of our gutter punk friends are going to see that and run. But if you <laughs> make it gritty, we're raising a flag saying, you're one of us, welcome home. And there was this long silence. And then finally he said, understood. Thank you. so yeah so in terms of like reach i yeah i want to reach more of our people you know i want to reach more of the people who would use the sort of stuff that we do and when we get these big splashes in mainstream media it's very weird because we get a lot of praise from people who kind of pay lip service to like the idea that they think they like what we do but they don't like deep down and it's so bizarre because um i remember i remember i had been invited shortly after that project to speak at the sloan school at mit and so i was with a bunch of kind of normies uh so after the after the epi pencil dropped right uh um and and so we're having dinner and like this woman i think she was uh from nasa and she's sitting next to me and and like and and just to be clear, like this conversation that I'm about to recount is typical. Like I've had the same conversation with a lot of people like her, mm-hmm. but she was from NASA and she said, oh, I heard about the EpiPencil project. It's really so great that you're making this accessible. My, I don't know, husband or niece or whatever has some sort of anaphylactic shock that she goes into when blah, blah, blah happens. It's really so wonderful to see you do this. And I said, oh, thanks. And I said, so did you build one? And the inevitable response was, <laughs> oh God, no, 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 no. I bought it. But it's really great that you're doing that. And I was like, excuse me, I think I'm in the wrong seat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I can understand being like, well, I have the resources, so I'm going to buy this one that's like, I expect to be dependable. In a weird way, though, it's almost like saying, I want to trust an expert rather than trust my own expertise, right? Like, because it's even weirder than that. Yeah, but okay. but this is exactly the the, the point that you, the the phenomenon that you point out is spot on. It's because I've dug into this a lot because I come across it so much, but it's so bizarre. And the thing that's strange is that they want to put faith into an infrastructure that they can't audit. And so it's so counterintuitive because you'd think that would be the opposite of what you want. But the reason that they want it so badly is that when you do not have the power to check, then you're absolved from the responsibility of checking. Uh, Yeah. uh And this 
offloading, this outsourcing of responsibility is something that I find over and over and over again is so very appealing to people where if you, if you take something on, then if it goes wrong, it's your fault. While if you have an infrastructure supporting you, if something goes wrong, well, that's just bad luck, right? It's a nobody's fault. And yeah. there's this, this bizarre, this bizarre sort of like blind eye psychology that happens when you say, well, I trust that the infrastructure in place is going to take the best care of me that it can. And that is more comfortable because I don't have to worry that if something goes wrong, that I am blameworthy. And this is terribly ironic on multiple levels. And it is the most ironic, especially with the EpiPencil project. I mean, not to like harken back to this little, little thing that we did, but right after we did that, there was a recall of something like 65,000 EpiPens because they were failing. Huh. Yeah. And the number of tragic stories that came out were just innumerable of, you know, some poor little girl had a airplane meal that like had a peanut in it or something and her throat starts to swell shut and her father hits her with the EpiPen and it fails and he's got a second one and that one fails and he's 30,000 feet in the air somewhere over the ocean just has to watch her die yeah because you can't take the thing apart and make it work unless you're trained in like how to break it properly if instead he made it himself like there'd be no way for it to fail it's it's an auto injector and if something went wrong with the mechanism you just unscrew it and you use the syringe there's there's and it's just it's i don't know it's it's maddening sometimes when you hear about these tragic stories where people either thoughtfully or thoughtlessly have put all of this trust in in an infrastructure which heartlessly fails them and feels no remorse when it does it's just a matter of business like that's what that's the american way yeah i mean that's the that's a an easy microcosm of a very large political truth and that that's what people want that's why people trust police that's why they essentially give up their agency in order to well i mean in some ways like you know i understand the desire to not have to think about everything I do, right? Like, it's nice that some stuff sure. someone else takes care of. Like, my friend Bursts is is editing this audio. And it's nice to be able to be like, uh -huh. he's going to edit the audio and I don't have to think about it. You know, and and so I understand why people want to do that. But I, But when you do it at the level of society and you have everything turned into these black boxes and you just sort of say, well, the black box never fails. And then when it fails, you're like, well, I guess there's nothing that could possibly have been done to solve this, you know? And then what you all do is you rip open these black boxes. That is the goal. That is definitely the goal. Yeah. And, and I think what you point out is really critical thing when you talk about this is why people trust police and trust government and trust you know, infrastructure and roads and bridges and like whatever, you know, whatever you're looking at in terms of systems, you know, trusting your internet service provider, trusting your phone company, trusting the water systems, like any number of things. Um, and ideally it would be really nice if all of these things worked, right? Yeah. You know, in, in a sort of Hallmark card fairy tale world we'd really like to think like well the water that comes out of the tap won't catch fire or be full of lead and the roads that are designed are designed to be safe and i'm not being unduly spied on or abused or exploited and unfortunately <laughs> we don't get those systems working that well most of the time yeah. Or enough of the time. Um, and so I hearken back sometimes to this memory I have of a friend of mine who 
went to business school. I mean, he's a really nice guy and has plenty of good qualities, but in a moment of being rather misguided, he went to business school. And so he still has a little bit of that business mindedness um, sort of stuck in his consciousness. And he said to me, how would you qualify success of four thieves? And I kind of thought about it for a minute. And I said, well, if we didn't have to exist anymore. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me quizzically and I was like, we're filling a gap that really shouldn't be needful. Either the infrastructure should function well enough that it takes care of everybody, or the idea of DIY medicine should be sufficiently normalized that like we're not important anymore and everybody's just doing it because that's a natural thing to think of. Yeah. I, I like this idea of the ability to audit things mattering, right? Like I think of, um, because I, yeah, I think about how I want to offload certain responsibility. It's just part of my life as I, you know, as I try to dive deeper into certain specializations, it's nice to free up mental space to not have to think about every system that I rely on. And one of the things that I think scares people away from anarchism, even if they understand that anarchism is an organized thing, is that there's this assumption that everyone has to have a decision about everything make a decision about everything. So you have like everyone in the city gets to decide how the water is filtered or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more into there being a a working group of the people who filter water, who figure out the best way to do it and then present it. But the difference that matters to me is that that would remain auditable. That would remain, I like that phrasing. That would be something that I could. Exactly. I don't want to think about how the water is filtered until I suddenly do. And then I want to be able to know, you know, I want to know, and have input if it's necessary. Yes. Huh. Exactly. And that's beautifully put, right? That's beautifully put. And and that and that sort of two-tiered, I don't even say it's a two-tiered system. That's sort of a dual structured system where it operates independently but is accessible is really ideal, you know? And people yeah. Often when people hear about four thieves, right, the first thing that they say is like, how do you know it's safe? And I always just have this quizzical moment where I say, how do you know what you get from the drugstore is safe? You're not allowed to go behind the counter and even see if they got the right pills out of the right bin. You're not allowed to go right. back there into the refrigerator and see if they stored it properly. You're not allowed to check the truck that it came in on and see if it was shipped properly. Furthermore, you're not even allowed to know what factory it came from, and you're certainly not allowed to go into that factory and see if it was manufactured properly. And yet somehow that feels safe to you. But if you had your own eyes on everything from start to finish, that seems like a terrible risk. Why? Why do you feel that way? And and people don't tend to have a really good answer most of the time, but it's the same sort of thing. I mean, I think that, I think that there's something automatic about it, uh, again, about wanting to trust structure, but in the same right. way, you know, I think that the same thing happens when people who are like, I don't know, cooking their own psychedelics. I think a lot of people would be like, Oh my God, how is that safe? And you say, you, know, you bought something from a stranger how do you know what's even in that? That doesn't seem safe at all. Like, yeah, I mean, where is your the answer is that none of them safe. <laughs> right. Well, but in yeah. one case, you at least have complete surveillance over the entire yeah, yeah. process. And in the other, no, totally. you have zero. Yeah. So, so that seems like a better trade-off in my mind. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, part of it is that it's like, like I keep kind of harkening back to is I don't want to be an expert on everything, right? Like, um, you know, I really like what you all do. Right. And there's a version of the world where I would learn wet chemistry, but it is not particularly likely, right? Like I am personally not incredibly likely to start right. manufacturing these things. And in part because I don't um, personally physically require any of the things that you all make that, to my knowledge that exist mm -hmm. so far, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of like, all right, it's sort of easy to, to not think about, but it's in the event that you had one that you needed. And I also like am part of a community where I do know people who are smart enough to do these things. And, and one of the reasons I like four thieves, one of the reasons I, I talk about you all a lot is that one of the questions I get asked a lot, right? People are like, well, how do, 
you know, in an anarchist society or after the apocalypse, which people equate a little bit more than they should. And I do sometimes too, but how would you create such and such drug? And the answer is always like, well, people do it and there's still going to be people. So people will do it. Right. (laughs) You know, Um, and one of the things that I try and remind myself as a person is that I'm like, I generally believe that if people are capable of doing something, I am a people and therefore I am capable of doing it. Not like today I could go and do open heart surgery, but this is exactly my argument too. But I like, I trust my friends that did learn how to do that. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think that's absolutely astute. Well, you know, we're, we've been talking for a while already, but I wanted to kind of give this groundwork, but I'm, I'm really excited about you all have an announcement today. You have many announcements uh, of a bunch of new products that you all are releasing. And when I say today, I mean, July 22nd, 2022. I have no idea when you're listening to this, but let's, let's hear some of these things that you have to announce. Yeah. So we have a bunch of new projects because we've been working through the pandemic. We decided to stop going to virtual conferences and just focus on projects. So now that it's been almost two years since we've made any announcements. We have a lot of new projects to drop. And as we were talking about uh, before we went on the air, the sort of element du jour here is abortion drugs. Mm-hmm. And this is such a, such a, a head shaker of an issue to my mind, because this is a social problem that has a complete and perfect technical solution Mm -hmm. that there are all of these barriers to implementing that are entirely unnecessarily present. It's just so, 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 so bizarre because when I think of abortion, I think, well, there are some drugs you take the drugs and your body's no longer pregnant. Why do we even have to discuss this anymore? Um, there are a few other <laughs> it cases. It seems like a where solved problem have, is what you're saying. Right. It seems like a solved problem. Um, and and it, it's just maddening to me that the, the technical part of it was solved decades upon decades ago. Mm-hmm. And, and still – it's not accessible, which is just the most bizarre thing ever. So in looking at the decision that just came out of the so-called Supreme Court, mm-hmm. you see that the the addenda in, include this sort of roadmap for bringing this down to emergency contraception and eventually bring this down to contraception itself mm-hmm. and, you know, recriminalizing gay sex and like a million other things that just are kind of just incomprehensible that anybody would want to make that happen. Like even from the most conservative standpoint, you'd think that the pragmatism of realizing that it's bad for business when you're horrifically bigoted like maybe <laughs> would count for something, but clearly I am in error when I assume that because it just happened. Yeah, no, hate is big business. Yeah, yeah, it it, it really is, and um, I I think I need to learn more about why it is because it, it's it's so. It, I don't know. I can't get it to gel in my head. It's it's really weird. It's a different reality. It is. It is. And and I, I think that yeah, I, I think that that's really it, right? Where if you if you want to really crank up your compassion and try to understand why these people might feel that they're doing the right thing despite this just horrific acts that they're doing. That, that, that somewhere in there, like they think that something is better by doing this. And it's, uh, I, I really need to unpack it. Uh, and maybe it's something more basic in human behavioral biology that I just don't have a good handle on. But 
like you said, it's, it is big business and it is it's definitely a thing. So that to say, regarding abortion, there are uh, two major releases that we have around that that are pretty exciting. And the first one, a, we call the Plan B+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And when you think about getting emergency contraception, as is, you know, typically termed plan B, which interestingly enough, all plan B and even the off brands like uh, My Way and the others have in the last week tripled in price. Holy shit. Uh huh. It's, I mean, not that that's still super expensive, but it's amazing that you used to be able to get my way for $6 and now it's $16. Like it's crazy, but you know, again, right. (laughs) Money drives a lot of things bizarrely and, um, you know, supply and demand and all that. But looking at that, you know, plan B emergency contraception is very effective, but when you think about the potential, negative consequences that might happen from unprotected contact, you might also be thinking about contracting HIV. And we also have a good solution for that. There's post-exposure prophylaxis. There's this good regimen for taking some antiretrovirals. And in the event that you were exposed to HIV during the act, you can be pretty confident that you're going to be protected. And we were able to go through the literature and find what a good regimen for post-exposure prophylaxis is. Now, it's interesting. So if you look at what happens in a hospital, if somebody has a needle stick accident, the Mm -hmm. typical regimen for post-exposure prophylaxis is a fairly aggressive multi-drug set of antiretrovirals that you take over a period of a month. And they're pretty rough on your body because you're taking Mm -hmm. them in fairly high dose and you're taking them for a long time. However, the literature indicates that the first dose or two is really doing the heavy lifting. So if after uh, an event of unprotected contact or exposure of whatever type, you get one dose of this, it can do 85 to 95% of the work in terms of protecting you against HIV, which is really great. And so we had the idea of saying, well, why not take this with emergency contraception? This seems like kind of a, you know, why not just do them together? Right. And we were very deflated to find out that antiretrovirals actually interfere with emergency contraception biochemically. Uh. Okay. And we thought, God, what a drag. This, it, I mean, what a terrible, difficult decision that you'd have to make. Yeah, which um, one do you want to deal with? Would you prefer to protect yourself? Again, right. Would you rather deal with HIV or an unwanted pregnancy? That's a terrible decision to have to make. And uh, one of our superstar researchers managed to find a research summit that was done on this very question just last year. And as it turns out, All you have to do is double the dose of the emergency contraception, and that's enough that it's no longer being interfered with by the antiretrovirals. So there is a course of treatment that you can give yourself that is both plan B, emergency contraception, and post-exposure prophylaxis with a multi-drug cocktail, and you will be able to be fairly certain that you will not have either an unwanted pregnancy or an HIV infection, which I'm pretty excited about. I think that's really great to be able to empower people with that, you know, yeah, you can just take some pills and that problem is, you know, 19 times out of 20, no longer going to be a problem anymore. And so if someone is interested in making this, it's y'all's system, the micro lab that people could use to make plan B plus. That is possible. Um, indeed. And the, and we are releasing version four of the micro lab as well. And there's a whole software suite with that. Not only is there the micro lab itself, but there is a graphical user interface that's there to 
build programs to run on the microlab. We have open access on our new supercomputer so that you can utilize it to figure out synthesis pathways for whatever drug you're trying to synthesize. And on top of that, also, there's a research assistant that will help you come through the scientific literature. So you could do that. Mm-hmm. However, in this case, these are off-the-shelf drugs, and you can just take them. Oh, um, I see what you're so saying. So we'll okay. be releasing a regimen. So what you can do is merely you would, if you wanted to have this on hand for a rainy day, mm-hmm. what you would do is you would buy two doses, so three milligrams instead of a milligram and a half of the emergency contraception, and then you would buy a you know a dose of uh, a couple of different antiretrovirals, and you would just you know stash them away in the event that you would need them, and and we'll be releasing that specifically as a as a regimen, and there'll be um, documentation so that you can both read through what we have found, and also you will be able to read the original research and literature that that this is based on. Again, like we didn't come up with this. Yeah, this, yeah. This came from existing scientific research. So yeah. Um, so yes, all the all the primary source material is there. Again, auditable, right? <laughs> you should be making up your own mind. We we've gone through and found this stuff, and you can take a look at it and decide if it's something you want to do. Okay. So yes, we do have another technology in the abortion drugs realm that is extremely, extremely exciting. And so as you and most of your listeners no doubt know, abortion medication is typically made up of mifepristone and misoprostol. And you take uh, one dose of the mifa and then you follow that up with three doses of miso. Um, And that is roughly 95% or more effective. And so that's a you know, kind of a slam dunk. However, in the world of underground abortion providers, it's very well known that if you have miso only, that you can take the three doses of miso and it's roughly 85% effective. And of course, the earlier you take it, the more effective it is. And so most underground abortion providers do that. They work with miso only. It's easier to get get a hold of and it's it's easier to work with okay however there's still the problem of getting it from point a to point b typically these days it goes through the mail and one of the problems is it gets hung up and the reason that it gets hung up is that it's a tablet and there are these rigid object detectors that are in mail systems and they get caught and they get pulled, um, especially if you're crossing international borders. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Same sort of thing if you're in a some sort of oppressive environment, either like your home life or your small community. If you have pills lying around or if somebody spots you with pills, like a lot of question marks are going to come up. So when we release our video on how to make your own miso tabs the big thing is making the tablet and the reason you have to make a tablet and this is really critical mm-hmm. is that misoprostol is a very fragile molecule if you just swallow it your stomach acid will immediately destroy it and it's useless you need to have it in a tablet so that you can put it in your cheek and let it dissolve and it will slowly soak in and be effective ah. um, that's also the reason why the alternate uh, route of delivery is vaginal administration just of the tablets. You need it to dissolve in a place where there are a lot of capillaries. And apparently it's also fairly local. So there are some theories that vaginal administration can be more effective, but I think the literature is kind of split on that. But again, it can't be a capsule. People have talked about this idea and I don't know, so don't listen to me as saying absolutely the truth, but I've heard people talk about how vaginal use of this is more traceable than oral use of it in terms of um, 
possible per- prosecution. Right. So there are documented cases of that. So what can happen or, and what has what has happened in, a, I believe, a number of Latin American countries is that when things have not worked and somebody's had to go into a hospital, say, I'm having a miscarriage and it's going poorly and I need medical attention, that after a pelvic exam, not the active ingredient, but some of the buffer and binder hasn't dissolved. And somebody says, you have chunks of pills in you. We know what you did. Um, And so there are people's Jews sometimes say, if you're in an extremely non-permissive environment where you would go to jail for murder, if anybody knew that you tried to induce a miscarriage in your body, that taking it orally is safer in that regard. Um, So again, again, the key thing here, again, is thinking about it dissolving, that it has to be in a, you can't just put it in a capsule and swallow it. Right. It has to be in a tablet form. And this is right. the difficult part. If you give somebody a bunch of raw active pharmaceutical ingredient, they can't just put it in gel caps they get from the you know, health food store and make pills. You have to press it into a tablet. And while you can do that, and you know, we did release a video on how to do that, it's not that difficult, but it is a pain and putting through the mail is, you know, they're fragile and they break. And what do you do with that then? Is that okay? And people get nervous. So we were all sitting around trying to figure out what to do about this. And one of, uh, one of our absolutely brilliant members just kind of looked up and said, why don't we just um, put it in blotter paper? Like, acid tabs and we all just had this moment (laughs) of silence and said oh my god that's brilliant and again scouring the literature it turns out that this has been done it's just nobody does it there's a very effective way that you can put miso into paper with a binder so that it's less so it's more stable more shelf stable and less uh, fragile um misoprostol is shelf stable when stored properly do you have to keep it in the freezer you don't have to keep it in the freezer the thing apparently that it is but, most susceptible to is i'm just thinking of acid is, oh right <laughs> yeah so the thing that the thing that misoprostol apparently is uh most susceptible to is moisture and the interestingly, the buffer that it comes with when you put it into the paper makes it less uh, susceptible to moisture. If you're planning on storing it for a long period of time, yeah, you can put it in like a Ziploc bag or a little Mylar bag or whatever. That's fine. And it'll keep for longer. But in the suspension that we've found, you can just have a little piece of card And so what we are hoping to do is to have a whole bunch of little business cards that have six little squares that you can cut out and you take two of them (laughs) and you put them in your cheeks and you let them sit there for about an hour. And then Mm -hmm. you, you wait the requisite number of hours and you do your second dose and then you rate the requisite number of hours and you take your third dose and you're done. And the thing that's magical about this is that it removes a lot of the infrastructural problems. You can send this through the mail. It's totally undetectable. You can stick it into a copy of <laughs> the left hand of darkness in the public library and just tell somebody that they can go pick it up if they need it. You can take this and stash it in any number of geocaches. I think that you should use a country of ghosts. There we go. Yeah. So, you know, they're right. Or, or, uh, or the mists of Avalon. (laughs) There are any number of appropriate works of literature that you could stash these in uh, entirely appropriately. Yeah. And, um, what we're hoping to have by the time this, uh, airs is to have a lot of these, already out there and circulating not just that it's an idea but that it's been manufactured by a bunch of affiliate cells number of other 
anarchist health activism groups, and that hopefully the opinion, as it's called, of the Supreme Court becomes just their opinion. And if there's so much out there that people can just get it for free wherever (laughs) they want because we've made so much of it, then maybe they just don't matter that much anymore. Um, so I'm laughing super hard because this is fucking brilliant. Uh, and also of course, because I really like the idea of being able to say, yeah, well, that's just your opinion, man, to the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, like that. But this, this does bring Go up ahead. a question. Um, what's the legality of manufacturing and, or clearly we would never advocate anyone break the law, uh, because that's the dis- I mean, actually, literally, that's the kind of thing that people need to make their own decision. Oh uh, well, well, you and I might differ on that. I, I, I would country. certainly, I would certainly yeah, advocate for people country. to break the law. <laughs> um, <laughs> you but, know, um, details, yes, right. <laughs> and and also, I would say that I, I advocate for people to have knowledge with which they can make their own informed decisions about which laws they want to follow. But that's it, a good way to phrase it. To what can, degree? is there a concern around like, like if I live in a state where miso is legal, is it legal for me to make it myself? Um, Like in general, what kind of legality will people be running into? Okay. Uh, All manner of weird things. And it does depend on the state that you're in and the, the legal team at four thieves basically put it to me like this. If they want to arrest you, they can find a way. And it was sort of, it was kind of like it's moot, right? Are you distributing a dangerous drug? Are you distributing a dangerous drug with intent to defraud? Are you practicing medicine without a license? Are you, um, there's so many weird laws that are so broadly written that any number of things could be thrown at you if you were making it, distributing it, sharing it, taking it, um, especially with all the new shifts in law. And again, it becomes, in, in my mind, with my understanding of the situation as it is now, the risk that you run is really measured in, is it going to be worth it for the law enforcement in question to try to chase you down or not? How possible and how plausible is that? Because if, um, do you think about the state of New York? Um, you're in the Northeast somewhere, so you're near New York, right? Sure, yeah. Okay, you're, you're, you might be I'm in Appalachia. I... <laughs> Okay, there we go. Okay. I'm closer to New York than I am um, to like San Francisco. <laughs> right. You're closer to New York than I am. Um, so, but I, I happen to know that in the state of New York, if you were to say, uh, hey, Michael, you know, I have a headache. And I said, oh, yeah? Have you thought of taking an aspirin for that? That I am technically committing a felony of practicing medicine without a license. That's how broadly the Mm -hmm. law is written. Now, nobody's ever going to prosecute that, of course, but the law in many cases and in many places is written so broadly that anything will fall under its purview and it becomes this weird question of, is it worth the energy of a prosecutor? Is it worth the energy of the local police force? Is it worth the energy of an investigator? And so in sort of a threat modeling sort of idea, the way that InfoSec people talk about it, you just want to make yourself just a little bit more of a pain in the ass to hunt down than anybody's willing to do. And you're probably safe. Now, this isn't like good advice from me. Like, go talk to a real security person if you're thinking about doing this. And like, keep yourselves and keep each other safe. Um, please, 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 please. If you are, if you're one of us, we need you out here and safe so that we can all keep doing stuff and helping each other. Um, so you take as take more precautions than you think you need. 
please try to be try to err on the side of safety. However, I would say do not allow the the fear to paralyze you into inaction. There are ways that you can totally. keep yourself relatively safe and stay out of so-called trouble and still do the things that you believe are right and you will be able to continue to help other people and keep each other healthy and keep each other safe. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I sometimes get sad because I'm like, well, I picked being very public as my role, so I guess I'm not doing anything really cool, but, uh, I don't know. Um, so, so what else you got? It's your big day of announcements. Uh, you've, you've already, offered the world um, ways to access reproductive um, their own reproductive health. What about, oh, I don't know, this thing that's going around that's disabling a lot of people and causing a lot of problems and killing people called COVID. You got anything for that? Yeah. Well, we do. We do. And I'll give at least a little teaser Yay. about that. Now, this is an interesting thing because at, in Four Thieves, we we have a general policy of marching away from the sound of the guns. If there are a lot of people working on something, we tend to think, okay, well then we're not needed there. We need to focus on the things that aren't being focused on. Um, We did construct a COVID survival guide in the very early days. I think we released it in February of 2020 um, when Mm -hmm. people kind of weren't appreciating how scary it was going to be. And we put together the information that we had access to at the time and it's aged. Okay. There are a number of things that are certainly outdated and at least one thing that's not terribly correct. Um, or it's miscontextualized. We had a thing where we're like, you know, masks don't keep you safe very much, which is true, but masks are really important because they keep everybody else safe. So, you know, don't be a jerk, wear a mask, keep everybody else safe. Um, It wasn't clear at the time that it was going to be so pervasive that we were going to need to do that all the time. Um, So we did that when it seemed nobody else was. And then subsequently, when basically every scientific organization in the world suddenly turned their microscopes on this, we thought, well, okay, cool. We're not needed anymore. We're going to focus on other things. But as the years have passed, there is one aspect of COVID that is getting all largely ignored uh, by the mainstream medical infrastructure, which is long COVID. Um, I have spoken with a number of medical professionals who have a very dismissive attitude and they say that they feel they think long COVID is largely psychosomatic and I'm kind of disgusted. It's the same shit of every fucking viral. Well, like it's it's the same thing as every viral long-term thing. Oh, that people just like, like, like people have other, there's other viruses that people get that cause long-term symptoms that get called psychosomatic is what I'm saying. Sure. And the thing that it, it sounds very, um, it harkens back to a lot of the stuff that you typically hear mainstream doctors say about things like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, things Mm that largely um, affect people with two X chromosomes. When you're looking at these things, it's like, Oh, it's all in your head. You need to exercise more. You should probably lose weight. You, you know, whatever, just this very, very dismissive Mm -hmm. attitude that when I hear it and when I sort of poke at these people and ask them to sort of unpack their reasoning for me, that when you get down to it, they're basically like, look, we don't know how to treat it. So essentially in my reality, it doesn't exist. And I'm like, that's exactly the opposite (laughs) of the attitude we should be having towards something that's crippling people. This is terrible. This is terrible. Yeah. And so, um, as happens, sometimes 
there are occasionally people that reach out to Four Thieves and have some information that's not in the public sphere or is not highlighted enough. And a guy that I worked with years and years ago said, hey, I know what you're doing. And there's this thing that I have for long COVID. And I can't get any traction on it. Maybe you can push it in through one of your back doors. And I said, I don't believe you. There's no way you have a cure for long COVID. Long COVID is so complicated. (laughs) It's like this world. It's this giant umbrella of different symptoms and different mechanisms of action. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's only for one. And so I I shut up Mm -hmm. and I said, okay, I'm listening. What are we talking about? He said, well, a lot of long COVID cases seem to be autoimmune in nature. And I was like, yeah, I've read that. And he said, the very few doctors who are taking this seriously are treating this with immunosuppressants. And I said, okay, cool. What now? And he said, well, the problem is, is the immunosuppressants that are approved in the United States are very, very hard on the system and will often cause people's kidneys to fail before they do what they're supposed to do. And I said, yeah, so you got something better? And he said, actually, yes, it's an old drug. It's FDA approved. It was originally designed for leprosy and it's called clofazamine. And I said, this is ridiculous. You're talking about an antibiotic. That's not going to do it. And he said, slow down. He said, this modulates the calcium channels in your T cells and it will bring your immune system down to chill out. And I said, I don't believe you. This is ridiculous. This is, this is, this seems totally, <laughs> I can't, there's no way you just have this in your back pocket. How is this real? And I said, Send, do you have documentation? And he said, yeah, of course. I have a truckload of documentation. I said, well, send it to me. And he said, well, I will. And he did. And he was right. The weird thing that's that's so difficult is that clofazamine is almost impossible to find because leprosy is seen as a poor people disease, a non-white people disease. Yeah. And so despite the fact that clofazamine was approved by the FDA and is on the books. It's not manufactured by anybody in the United States and it's not imported to the United States by anybody. So you really, really, really have to go looking for it. And so the last thing where Mm -hmm. I was still kind of totally incredulous with this guy, whereas I said, so what? Somebody just takes this for the rest of their lives and maybe they're okay. Like, and, and how long do they need to take it before they even know that it's working? And he said, they can take one or two doses and it'll either work or it won't. And I said, you've got to be joking. And he said, no, I'm serious. I said, well, and then what? And they take it forever? And he said, no, then you can take it for about a month and your immune system will settle out to a regular set point and then you can stop taking it and you can just go back to your regular life. And I was just absolutely floored. And so we continue to try and look for sources of clofazamine. Um, they allegedly are available in places like India and Bangladesh. Um, again, we're recording this in advance of when it's going to be released. So hopefully we'll have mm-hmm. a truckload full of it and we'll be throwing it to people from the stage. But again, it's been very hard to turn up. And again, I think the, just the fact that it's hard to get these sorts of things is so emblematic of all of the problems that you and I keep talking about in terms of the way that health is running both worldwide and especially in the U.S. So hopefully we'll have some of this and hopefully we'll be able to get it to the people who need it and help people who need it get it themselves. And long COVID can be something that isn't affecting so, so, so many people and we'll be able to make at least some of them a little better. What, um, like what kind of, you're saying it only works on, on certain certain long COVID symptoms or sufferers, like, is there like a a rough idea of like what percent you're talking about? Because also there's, I I know that you expressed incredulity in the story, but it's like, it's so hard not to hear this and think this is horse paste again. You know, this is ivermectin. Um, (laughs) Right. 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 Um, So, so, so long COVID again is this, it's this big umbrella term for 
something happened with COVID and you're experiencing things after you are quote unquote better. Um, one of the ways that this manifests is people just get severe forms of COVID and get organ damage. And that's long COVID, mm-hmm. right? You have permanent effects from it. Like no drug is going to fix that. Okay. You have organ yeah. damage, you have organ damage. That's very hard to reverse. Um, there are manifestations where people kind of have chronic infection where, especially in people who are immunocompromised, their viral load never really goes away and they just mm-hmm. continue to suffer. Uh, also, this is not going to help that at all. Um, but what seems to happen in a, in a, maybe not the majority or even the plurality of cases, but a large chunk of cases is what happens is people get a fairly severe COVID infection and their immune system kicks into hyperdrive as it is designed to, but COVID Mm -hmm. can be sufficiently aggressive and hang around long enough that the immune system never modulates back down. And so what will happen is that people who have recovered from their COVID infection become hypersensitive to things. Again, they're totally fatigued all the time because their immune system is taking up all of their resources. Um, mm-hmm. they, they don't tolerate things well. They get weird, uh, like allergic reactions to things, all sorts of stuff that again, is in this sort of autoimmune disease manifestation. And the thing that's really magical is that you take one or two doses of this and it'll either work or it won't. If you, if you start to feel better, you know that you're in this particular category of this is what you needed. And then you can just take a course right. of treatment and hopefully you'll be better. And you, so you don't have to like tax your body for a long time trying to say, well, like maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. You'll know very quickly, which is such a blessing. And so my hope at uh, the Hope Conference um, in New York is <laughs> that if I find people who say they have long COVID, that I'll be able to give them one or two doses and say, take one today, take one tomorrow. And if on Sunday you feel much better, I can give you a month's worth and then you can just take it home with you and be better. Right. Um, so that's my dream. And again, also to proliferate it so that people know how they can access it on their own without having to need us as an intermediary um, and have ways that people can, as you say, potentially manufacture it if it's not accessible at all. Um, access yeah. is really the thing. There's so many, so many things that are on the shelf we can fix but you can't get them legally. So while you might not encourage people to break the law, I say, have at it, have at it. (laughs) If it's the difference between breaking the law and keeping your health, would you rather be the most law abiding citizen in the graveyard? Or would you like to maybe work circumlegally or extra legally and live to fight another day? I think it's a pretty easy decision that that I encourage everyone to make on their own. Um, yeah, no, totally. All right, and and so I think you have one more announcement for today, um, and maybe we'll go over this one quickly. We're kind of running out of time, so but you have a defibrillator. Did I? Oh, so I'll give another mm-hmm. teaser: is that we have yeah the defibrillator. So we have an an open source defibrillator that you can build for about $600 instead of the usual $6,000. And so we'll be giving details on all of these things at the Talk at Hope, and we'll be doing workshops at DEF CON a few weeks later. And I encourage you all to come out. Uh, And if you can't, I know that you can get a virtual ticket to Hope so that you can not just stream all the talks, but also interact and ask questions in real time. And I believe that DEF CON will also be hybridized. So if you go to the Biohacking Village uh, channel, you should be able to um, watch what we're doing. And yeah, I, I hope to see you all there uh, or sooner or later somewhere. All right. Um, are there any uh, last words, things that we forgot, things that need to get pointed out? Uh, well, if you like what Four Thieves is doing and you want to support the mission, 
please go out and find somebody who needs your help and help them whether or not you think they deserve yeah, it. Yeah, fuck yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. Keep each other healthy. Keep each other safe. Thanks so much for coming on again. Thank yeah. you so much. It's always great chatting with you, and I hope we can do it again. I look forward to it. Yeah. Me too. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you should tell people about it. You should tell people about it on the internet and in person and skywriting. I don't know if skywriting is ethical. If you all come up with a green version of skywriting, you should do it. Hot air balloons? I feel like hot air balloons. If you were to set up hot air balloons and do banners from the hot air balloons, maybe that don't just say live like the world is dying because that would be kind of a scary thing if you were just driving around and there was a hot air balloon up above you that said live like the world is dying or maybe that would be good i'm not the boss of you you do whatever you want including not tell people about this whatever uh you can also support us you can support us by supporting our publisher we are published by strangers in the tingled wilderness which is a publishing collective that's how you know they publish things like podcasts we i'm part of it we put out zines and we put out podcasts and we're going to be putting out books soon. We've been around for almost 20 years in various different incarnations, but this new version of it is new and exciting. And um, yeah, if you support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness, you can sign up there and you can get a zine sent to you every month. Uh, not for free. It's like you have to pay for it, but it's like once you sign up for the thing then we send it to you and we'll send it to you anywhere in the world and also all of our content is made available as best we can free on the internet as well but it's really cool to be supported and really grateful i know that i like say this every time but i'm really grateful for all the support that people have shown both the people who came over with me it used to be a personal patreon for me and have come over to supporting the collective and then also all of the new supporters it it's like really good for morale. We're like trying to do this fairly ambitious project with all this stuff that we're trying to get done. And we haven't been able to get all of it done yet, right? And people being like, no, we believe in you um, by supporting us has been really big, really great. So thanks. Thank you all. And in particular, I would like to thank Hoss the Dog, who is a dog, not a person. I already made this joke and now I'm stuck making the joke again. I'm sorry. I mean, it's not a joke. Hoss the Dog is a dog. But Anyway, Hoss the Dog, Chris, Sam, Micaiah, Kirk, Natalie, Eleanor, Jennifer, Starro, Kat, Jay, Chelsea, Dana, David, Nicole, Mickey, Oxalis, Paige, and SJ. Yeah, thank you. And to everyone else, go out and don't commit crime unless you want to commit crime. Really, I guess that was the whole point of the whole thing you just listened to. Uh, good luck. Weird shit's happening. I don't know. We'll get through it. Yeah. It'll be good. Totally. See you all soon. <laughs>